Welcome to the SBS podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Bonjour, 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 and uh, welcome to the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast. And today we've got uh, someone that is, uh, I don't know, you're part of the furniture now, Maka. You're joining us every single podcast right now. Oh, welcome, is... I should say. Hello. Yeah, Hi. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, good to be back. And uh, I am part of the furniture, so good luck trying to kick me out, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, I'll try, but we'll see. <laughs> no, I need you for the tour. Uh, joining us as well today is the Lama. The Lama is in the house. Shane Miller, how are you? Good morning. How are we, boys? Really good. Um, first of all, I've got one question for you, Shane. Mm. What's with the Lama? What's with the Lama? Ah, that's the number one question everybody asks. Of course. Um, I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, I guess it was back in uh, my high school days. We're talking 20, 25 years ago now, maybe even more. Somebody was yelling out or singing along to music, and it was a misheard song lyric. He was rocking out to hardcore music, and I thought I heard God's Pet Llama, God's Pet Llama. And, and I said, hey, Tyson, what's that song, God's Pet Llama? What, what are you talking? He's like, what are you talking about? That's... So it's a misheard song lyric, and it was just happened to be the day we all had to get new usernames for either Hotmail or uh, okay. yeah, back in the internet when we first came <laughs> Oh, this is going well, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think you should stop now because uh, you're really showing your Hotmail. age. Hotmail. <laughs> so I, I shortened that to GP Llama, and then um, it just stuck. It just and, stuck. Yeah. And today, uh, do you know, Maka, he's got a job cooler than ours because I, his job is, is a YouTube star. He's a, I, YouTube, he's a YouTuber. <laughs> I thought we better, yeah, we better give you a, 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 a you know, drum roll intro, but you, you've got a big following uh, with a YouTube channel and it's all around cycling. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, look, my background is in IT and IT security, networking. I see all the technology here in the studio. It's all hooking all this up and making sure it all works. But then I took up cycling later in life at about 25, 26 years old, which is too late to make anything of it professionally, to be honest. By the time I got good, um, or better at it and found my legs. It was about 30 years old, so it took a while. I dropped from 85 kilos down to 69 kilos, so I was going okay up hills. So I've got hope. Got, yeah. right, got yeah. right into cycling, and uh, I did a review of a product called a... Um, oh, it was um, one of these indoor trainers. I've been using indoor trainers for a long time, and I did a review of a product that was honest. It was a user review. It wasn't advertising. It was a straight out. It's one of the most viewed things on my blog at the time, and people liked that. And I've just continued on. YouTube came along. Social media came along. Um, nothing's changed. It, it just people are now watching what I'm doing, which is uh, fantastic. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, let's, we've gone back to the tech. So I think we've got mm-hmm. uh, heaps of questions for you in terms of, of tech. Uh, but let's talk about professional cycling right now. Uh, we have to start with the UAE Tour. Uh, and what a tour it was. What a winner it was. Uh, Roglic, we were impressed by him at the Tour last year. He delivered early this year. He has, hasn't he? I mean, that's a little feather in his cap to, to kick off the year well. and so. But also with that, the stage winners we had, that's sort of what I'm excited about. You know, we had Gavidia, new team for him. He's got a victory. Valverde, monkey off the back with the rainbow jersey. Caleb Ewan. Oh, brilliant win. How good was that yep. win? Uphill kick. To me, that says he is on for MSR Milan San Remo. So that's exciting for Australian fans. Viviani and Sam Bennett as well. Uh, the boy Arnsgrohe, who sort of rides in the shadows of Peter Sagan the last couple of years, but he's a very good sprinter in his own right. Any surprises? Port, 50th. 
Is that is that is that a surprise or not? Because we not a concern. Know, Maybe a little surprise. Yet. What do you think? It's a bit early in the season. He's had mm. his longer stage. Yeah, that's always a target, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so we'll see how he goes. So he can't be on peak all the time. Yeah. Mm. But that that UAE UAE tour actually was more or less the surprise for me because it was it was an interesting race. I'm not sure that was that interesting before. Well, oh, it's, it's it's got hills. Yeah. I mean, you ex- you just expect desert flat. And, you know, if you haven't been there before, which I haven't, uh, but it's actually, it's a pretty tough bike race and, you know, it's in the winter months, so it only sits around mid 30s to 40, I think, degrees. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool temperatures. Um, I mean, they've had a battering, haven't they? They've started out here in January. Uh, not all those riders, by the way, but when you think about the, the world of cycling, starts out here, Adelaide, Victoria, Stinking hot weather, mm. 40s, and then they head to, you know, cooler climate UAE <laughs> for some cooler temperatures. And then they're making their way to Strade Bianca and all those classic in yeah, Europe, which are... cold. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they're gradually drop, dropping down. Uh, Roglic, if we just focus on him, uh, I mean, we, we know he was a ski jumper uh, before turning a professional cyclist. You were impressed by him at the Tour last year. How good of a year can he have this year? He can win the Tour de France. I think you know, so. there's, yeah. there's a few guys that come in the Tour de France, but you have to you have to say that about someone like him. And, and you know, to recap why I was so impressed, and I think why many of us were, for a guy that's just been in the sport such a, such a short time, having been there myself and, and knowing how hard it is to just negotiate a peloton, and, you know, it took me years and I still didn't master it at the end of my career. And, and Richie Port is another one of those. There's a, there's a handful of them. So they, they just impressed me whenever they get a victory on the, on the world stage because I just think it's um, – they make it look easy when it's actually not. It's really, really hard. You can have a big engine, but that does not mean you're going to be able to negotiate a 200-rider peloton. So that's what impresses me the most. Shane, what about you, I think, with Roglic? You picked on a very good point there that it's not about the engine people have. It's not even about the smarts because you've got to mix it up with the engine and then the smarts, but it's being able to rub shoulders and be confident with that. Mm. Bike racing is dangerous, and it hurts when you fall off. And mm. one slip – You've crashed, have you? Uh, I've done four collarbones, a hip. <laughs> oh, um, is that why you're sticking to a home you, trainer a lot now? Not bad for a latecomer. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, yeah. No, I, I've yeah, validated myself as a cyclist, yeah, too many times there. So, I'm, yeah, I know what it's like to crash and the feeling of that. So, but someone to come in new to a sport and be able to navigate their way through a bunch who have been doing it since they're maybe two, three, four years old, mm. yeah, very impressive. Yeah. Uh, Valverde breaking the back of this curse of winning stages or races with a... With a um, with a rainbow jersey on his shoulder, uh, he never ceased to impress him. No surprises. Like, yeah, if, if everyone does it a certain way, Valverde do it the other way. Well, if there's anyone who's going to, you know, smash that curse and dispel it, it's Valverde because he's a he's a prolific winner, isn't he? And great to see him win in the colours. And we're going to see more of him winning. And what is he this year? Thirty nine. I don't know. He's almost, he'll almost be <laughs> filling out the forms for a master's category. Oh, yeah, for sure. God help us. God help us when he – or not us. I, I certainly won't be there on the start line. But God help these crazy master's riders who turn up to the master worlds if Valverde, when he does retire from pro cycling, decides to take up world masters. Trust me, they'll still push him. Master's racing is very, very hard. I've done it for many years. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. A lot of time uh, to train. Uh, let's talk uh, track now because uh, we know on the last podcast – the last few podcasts actually we've done, but last podcast was uh, – 
uh, from uh, the track The Six Days. Uh, we had uh, some good fans at The Six Days uh, on track. But um, World Championship happened in Poland. We spoke to Nelly at the time. She was really very much looking forward to the performance there. Australia delivered very well. They did deliver very well. And I won't say at the top of the tree, but probably the one that does stand out. Well, the second branch, I think, of the tree. Yeah, <laughs> is, is the men's team pursuit breaking their own record by just under two seconds, like 348, yeah, almost, two, almost, the, almost into the 347s. And we know two seconds on the track is enormous. Well, it's yeah. enormous It's enormous when you're already averaging over 60 kilometres mm. per hour from a standing start. That's the thing. From a standing start, yeah. it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's and it's interesting. I was, I was actually out riding with a group on uh, last weekend, Ash Hutchinson, former world champion in the team's pursuit, Commonwealth Games, and we were talking about it. And he said, apparently, Callan O'Brien, one of the one of the quartet, this is previous to this one, but he was doing like a three lap turn to finish. So now what they're trying to work towards is each rider being able to do two lap turns consistently. Now years ago. Anyone who's listening who's new to the sport might say, well, what does that mean? So what it means is 10, 20 years ago, any rider in the quartet of the team pursuit that could pull a one-lap turn was massive. They were flying. They were obviously stronger than everyone else. And then they've got guys doing one-and-a-half-lap turns, two-lap turns. O'Brien's pulled a three-lap turn, apparently, whether it's Urban Myth, I'm running with it. (laughs) But they're talking about these riders being able to pull two-lap turns from the beginning and then if anyone's going a little bit stronger, like Callan O'Brien, pulling a three-lap turn at the end because they've realised they lose 0.001 of a second in their rotations. Mm-hmm. So if they rotate less, they they're going less. to go a little bit quicker. It's, it's nuts. It is nuts. It is absolutely nuts. is nuts, but it's amazingly nuts. Oh, it's fantastic. I so. put a lot of that down to the technology they're using and the analytics they're applying to that because you're saying 0.1 or 0.2 of a yeah. second or even lower than that. You can't see that with your eye. You can see it with a stopwatch at the end. Yeah. But what they're doing behind the scenes, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. I'd love to know what they're doing in the background yeah. to shave. Two seconds is big, oh, really big. We're talking wind tunnel sessions. We're talking optimised positions for helmets based on the rider themselves and the physiology of the rider. Yeah. Who can pull that turn? Who's going to fade or who can't fascinating stuff bring in the tech specialist this is why we've got him here <laughs> that podcast just went um, there's a, also a nice story one of the riders was at the uae to do a nice little segue was riding in the uae got on the plane straight to poland got a medal yeah roger kluger did a final lead out at uae right jumped on the plane the next day, the next morning, arrived in Poland three hours before the Madison. Yeah, we'll just win the Madison gold. Thank you very much. <laughs> Seven-day stage race, wow. flies. It would actually only be about a four-hour flight, I would think, if he went direct to Poland. Still. Still. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's not talk it down. Still air travel after cycling. It can be sore. Like, you yeah, have an ergo insane. on the plane just spinning the legs up and down the aisles or something, yeah, just keeping the legs insane. turning over? Um, we should... Christoph, can we just quickly we can, we can. talk about it's these? It's your podcast as well. You're part Ooh. of the furniture. Well, I'm going to take over then. No, but we should really talk about just some of the other results. Uh, Shane, you mentioned Ash and Kudinov yes. just off air before we came on, winning her first individual pursuit, and she broke an Australian record in doing so. So that's a great ride for her. Brilliant. Um, obviously, we mentioned the men's TP, the women's team pursuit, and Annette Edmondson part of that. Uh, Carly McCulloch. I thought she was a had some great rides. She did win a medal with Steph Morton Silver in the team sprint. 
But she also won, and I didn't know this, her first individual medal at World Championships. And then she also backed it up with her second individual medal. And I think possibly the most impressive ride. She got second in the Kieran, but she got knocked out. So she had to come back through the repercharge heats. And so she ended up then making the semi, making the final, and got the silver medal. So Carla McCulloch, she's been around a long, long time. You know, she goes back with the Anamir's days in the team sprint. She was there before Steph Morton. So really pleasing for her. Yeah, no, a lot of good results. And uh, good to see the coverage on Twitter. That's how I've been keeping up with it all. Mm. And the emotion behind those wins. I mean, that's what I look for. The, the results are fantastic. I look at the technicalities behind that and how they're getting that fast. But to see the human side, to take the data out of it, to take the results out of it, to see their response is really, really good. You can see how much it means to them. Yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? And I mean, you know, women like uh, Alex Manley, uh, she, won the, she won the points race as well. Like that, that almost go, gets blurred in with those other results. So I think it's important... Uh, that we that we mentioned. I mean, I think they got the silver in the Madison as well. Uh, Remember, Nettie was uh, Annette was telling us that uh, the team is looking good slash very good. That's what she said on the podcast. She was right. She was right. I think the big question now, though, is and you know, let, let, enjoy the success. But they will agree, all of those athletes and that whole Australian team. It is all about the Olympics, and it is all about the Olympics for the coaching staff. Yes, that's a good stepping stone. And they're excited by it. But it is, isn't it, Shane? I mean, that's where the benchmark is. And they've done this before against the Brits, especially in the team's pursuit, uh, the men, and then been beaten at the Olympics. So That's, that's the world stage. That's where all yeah. eyes are on. I mean, us, the cycling community, we're looking at what's going on across yeah. them, no matter what's happening and where, but the world's eyes are on the Olympics. And, and that's where they get their funding. Mm-hmm. They don't get their funding based off worlds. They get their funding on a four-year cycle from the Olympics. So... So is that why the Brits are, you know, they, they're good at the Olympics and they make it babies and then they come back? <laughs> <laughs> Might didn't want to say that, but yes, I'm maybe, maybe, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was the on loop as well. Let's talk about this. I'm going to save the audience of the, me telling the full name because I just can't speak Om Dutch. Loop. Uh, Om let's loop say the Om Het Newsblad. It's a go. newspaper. Mm-hmm. It used to be Om Loop Het Volk. I like to think of it as Het Volk because that was uh, the original name. Deconic Quickstep dominated the opening weekend. Belgian team. It's for those of you who don't know this. It's the opening weekend of any of the classics in Europe. It is in Belgium. It's in the Flanders region. The Belgians and the Northern French, etc. The Dutch. They live for this. They breathe it. They eat it. Is their Champions League if you like football? Yeah. Is their Grand Final if you like the uh, AFL or NRL or whatever? Yeah, and they look for their Belgian teams and all the Dutch teams or the Northern French teams. So for the Quick Quickstep, they've they've drawn first blood against all of their rivals, winning both would, races. Would they target this? Is it oh, so absolutely. important for them to perform there? It's more, Flanders is more important. Flanders is is the Grand Final for for the for the uh, Fl- uh, Flanders Classics. But this is the opening one, the omelette, Het Newsblad, and then, of course, Kern Brussel Kern on the Sunday. They won both, and Zdenek Stibar, Czech rider. I had a quick look back through the stats. I think he's the first Czech rider to win that race. And would you believe this? It's 14 years since the Corning Quickstep or various formations of that squad have won Omloop Het Newsblad to start this season off. So it's a pretty, pretty important victory for them. Interesting. And, mm. of course, the women's race had to be paused uh, because they were catching up the men. Yes, they were. They it left was... 10 minutes behind the men and yeah. they caught up the men and they had to be stopped. 
yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Come on, fellas. Uh, and uh, maybe they need to up the prize money for the women because there's been some conjecture over that. But it was Chantel Black, former world champion, who won that. Sarah Roy of the Aussies, Roy and Hosking, 13th and 14th. Not a bad result, not a great result, but that that is a tough, tough weekend of racing. And I think you guys saw a little bit of just the, the vision and the footage. It's always freezing. Oh, it's the arm warmers freezing. were out. I saw a picture of Durbo at the start on one of the things. I think it was Durbo. And, right. uh, yeah, arm warmers were on. And the face, there wasn't any smiles. It wasn't like <laughs> here in Bunningyong where they're all like, oh, I've just put a top on. We're no undertop and we're good to roll. No warm-up needed. The legs are warm. Over there, yeah, be a lot of time on the ergos before the start. Oh, sure. yeah. Mm. And I think the best result of any of the Australians was Gracie Alvin, fifth in Omloop. Van Het Hageland on the Sunday. That's the, the equivalent uh, of Kern Brussels Kern for the women. So Gracie Alvin looking good because remember she was second in Flanders mm-hmm. a couple of years ago as well. Uh, Matthews crushed. Yes. Well, on, on, going uphill. Yeah. Not surprising. It was on the <laughs> Molenberg, one of the cobble. Not, surpri- not saying, not <laughs> no, surprising. No, 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 he, he hasn't crashed in the sprint. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's crashed on that, which is those sort of races. They're absolute. Chaos, carnage. We've seen those on the television. At the yeah. back of the race, if you're not at the front group with that momentum, if you have to stop and start, yeah. you're off the side. You yeah. can't clip back in. You're walking. And, it's, it's a slaughter fest. And that time of the year, I can tell you, it's, it doesn't even have to be raining. But when it's zero degrees anywhere in the world, the roads are just damp. Mm-hmm. They're damp all day. And the sun sort of gets to about 30 degrees. That's where it stays. And then it goes back down at about 3.30 in the afternoon. So that the roads don't get a chance to dry out. So... As you say, if you're not in that front 20 or 30 going up those cobbled hills, someone slips, the wheel comes down, no one else is getting through. So, But good to see he's, he's got some form, Matthews, because he was sort of top 15, top 20, I think, in one of yep. those races. So he's, he's moving well. And the juniors as well, you mentioned the juniors? Yeah, we saw a post on social media today where one of the junior races there, the, was it the, the Sunday race there? Uh, yeah. the, the lead car appears to have jammed on the brakes. I think they're saying that it was the automatic braking system kicking in or somebody might have stalled the car. Well, they said it was either that or just a dud driver. I, I was trying to be polite here. I, but the car did seem to jam its brakes on. And a few riders were, I mean, at the start, you're really nudging that uh, the tailgate yeah. and they nudged it a little bit too closely. A few riders on the ground there, but hopefully everyone picked themselves up and continued on. Could this be the same technology in those little scooters that are stopping the automatically on the automatic brakes as well? Like in the shopping trolleys in the, yeah, yeah, if you push them too far away from yeah. the supermarkets, they lock up. I think that's what happened with the car. Yeah. Europe, Europe, <laughs> Europe, Europe. Yes. <laughs> uh, coming up, uh, we've got Strade Bianca. Mm. Coming up on the 9th of March. Uh, I love that race. And yeah. I say I love that race. I discovered it last year. Really watching it. You know, I've heard about that race, of course, before, but I've watched it for the first time last year. Uh, and I'm actually looking forward to watch it again. I love Strade Bianca. Yeah, it's, it's great, isn't it? And isn't it funny or interesting how, you know, 10 years ago, riders and teams would complain about quality of road surfaces, etc. And now we see this whole transformation on a, on a recreational level, not and not just the pro level, gravel bikes, cyclocross yep. getting bigger around and, the world. And, and the and sale then, of gravel bike is going... Yeah, n- now you see gravel bikes in shop windows yeah. uh, as the I display bike. bike. Yeah, yeah, look at me. You've sucked. <laughs> You're a sucker. <laughs> but, and, and then you've got races like this, Strata Bianca, that are just really growing in popularity. And, you know, and they've, they've positioned it at the perfect time of the year, I think, sort of in between of those classics and, and Milan San Remo and, uh, you know, Paris Nice and Torino Adriatico. So it's in a really good space, I think. And actually, remember when we spoke to uh, Brenton Jones as well on uh, on the, the French one, the uh, the Trombron Leon. Yes, yes. He's actually he's, he's getting nuts about this race. He wants it to be. He wants he wants to do it so much, mm. and he actually I t- talked to his 
team to actually let him do it again this year uh, because he wants the same thing gravel it's crazy crazy yeah. conditions yeah and, that, oh, and that's another one that i think will grow in stature you know in over the next few years because it's um you know it's a good build up towards paris Bay as well so absolutely and of course we've got paris nice coming up on sbs from the 10th of march to the 17th of march uh we all love Paris. How important is that race? It's an interesting one. You can you can flip it either way. I mean, we talked about Richie Port finishing what fifty second or in UAE. He's won Paris Nice before. Yeah, he's lost it as well by that much. Yeah. So, well. should we expect him to be good there? If he's good, do we clap our hands and say great? He, he's on form for Tour de France. Or if he rides in about fiftieth, sixtieth position, what do we say? Do we get worried? Or and my answer is no. Maybe he's approaching his year differently. Shane? How far are we away from the Dauphiné? Is that the one where we judge Tour de France form? Is it too early to Perfect. judge Tour de France? Yeah, form? no, that's what I think. I yeah. think it's too early. I think, I think oh, look, historically the last few years, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if we if look at the, the Tour de France winners, mm. obviously Chris Froome's won a bunch of them, uh, Cadell Evans, uh, Bradley Wiggins, they've had brilliant seasons from the beginning all the way through to July because when you think about it, the season for them is six months because mm-hmm. July's it. You know, if that, that's the pinnacle for them. I mean, Chris Froome's gone on and won the Vuelta as well. But so I think, yeah, the Dolphin is the, the better judgment. Okay. Um, Parry Nice, you know, if Richie Port comes out and wins it, we, we're going to run with that, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> for SBS, we're totally uh, going to run with it. Yeah, build it up, make it. And a couple SBS. of stage wins for Caleb Ewan as well on the side. That'd be just <laughs> enough to sort of, you know, up the ratings for July. You make a good point, Caleb Ewan. You know, uh, we know the whole drama about switching team and, and where he is now. Uh, how good does he look right now? And, I mean, what are the expectations of him at the Tour de France? Oh, the expectations are to win. Huge. Yeah, for him as well, as much as the team. No, I think he's going great, but he, he won an uphill kick and he won it convincingly. But that's totally different to a straight out. I was going to say, does that indicate, form there, does that indicate he's aiming more for the classics than a stage win at the Tour? No. Can, you, can you do both? Oh, I think you can do both. No, I think I think the tour is and everything he, for him. Yeah, will he make a point of winning at least one stage at the tour? That's that's his. It's got to be his goal. Oh, totally. With all the whole drama that has happened with Mitchell and Scott the years before. Yeah, but the other thing to remember is, and again, you know, teams could shut me down here, but I can tell you, if I was managing a team, sprinters are expected to win more. So you're not banking on they're not banking on Caleb Ewan just to win a stage at the Tour de France. You well, know, they if, if that's all five? he did this year, no, no, they'll they'll say if he wins one stage, fantastic. But they'll also have him earmarked for Milan San Remo. They'll have him earmarked maybe later in the year at the Vuelta, maybe not to finish it, but maybe pick off a couple of stages. And there's all these other races throughout the year, so they want value for money. A general classement rider, they win once or twice a year, but they win big. Whereas the sprinters, they're expected to win multiple times. And Caleb Ewan. He hasn't gone there, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars. He would have gone there for a pretty big pay packet. So they expect uh, a lot of wins from him. But in his mind, I think the Tour de France is the number one goal. Okay, so difference between what the team expects and maybe what he well, personally wants to achieve. It's both. He, he would say, yes, I want to win multiple times. But at the top of that multiple is is the Tour de France, and, and or maybe Milan San Remo because it's a monument. You know, if you win a monument, I think. Uh, so it's as important I, I, as a tour. As a sprinter, so you were, you were a sprinter. How important would that be for him to win so many in the lead-up of the Tour de France oh. in terms of the confidence? Oh, massive. Massive. I mean, you know, if he's got his good mate Roger Kluger, 
picking off, you know, from from his form as well. You know, they, they've got a good synergy, obviously, going on. I mean, he's put he's pulled him across from Mitchelton, but it's, you know, Shane. I think you'll agree. It's it doesn't matter what sport, winners are grinners, and your morale and everything lifts when you're winning. And and I think that is something that you know, no scientist, no technology can can we can't read it. We can't we can't. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Teach it. Well, we, no, you, you can teach it, but we can't quantify it. How do you quantify um, that winning feeling? Do you also get a bit more respect in the bunch at the tour if you've had a few wins in the lead-up? I mean, Caleb's small of stature, mm. but he, does he hold his head a little higher and put the elbows out <laughs> a little further? Is that a slight further? dig at him? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen his bike right. size. It's quite small. Uh, yeah, does, he, does that allow him a little bit more, I guess, grace in the bunch to move about where he needs to be, a little bit more respect from the other riders rather than being pushed around? To- we, always, we see some argy-bargy. We yeah. have seen it last week. Totally. Yeah. It's, that, it's that, well, you can command respect, can't you, sort of thing. And suddenly Caleb's won three or four times. Yeah. He, and Lotto are fighting position at the front. He will command that position sort of thing. So that is a really good point. I think it's, it's, it's imperative that he gets more wins on the board, not just this one at UAE yeah. before TDF. Let's talk tech. I think you had a question for, uh, for oh, Shane. I've got a whole list of questions. <laughs> He's got a shopping list. So <laughs> I can talk, be careful. I can talk all day about this, well, and, I, and I do. Well, I, had a little, I did have a little snoop uh, on, on, your, on your YouTube site, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen this before. One thing that excites me, and I think you've done a review, ceramic speed. Tell us about that. Okay, well, that, that's... Because that's, that, it's an exciting... That particular uh, video, um, well, Ceramic Speed are known for their um, very expensive bearings, mm. um, ceramic bearings, and they do a, these unweighted spin tests, which yeah. look fantastic, but from a data side, we're sort of like, okay, what about a loaded bearing? Are they in you? Anyway, Ceramic Speed is a company are known. They do big, really big jockey wheels. You've probably seen them on a lot of TT bikes. Mm-hmm. They've come out with a prototype, and it's a chainless bike mm. that operates on a mesh cog. Now, it's not new. But they've also added some of their new tech to it. So their own bearings where it interfaces. You've got to see, it's hard to explain. And that's why the visuals worked so well Can on I YouTube. Can I ask a question then? Because mm-hmm. someone has said this to me and then I've run with it. Is it similar to the drivetrain in a car, in a vehicle? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. If you had, had a gearing, this didn't, this was a single speed. It was only a prototype. Uh, it was a single speed. Yes. Ah, the, okay. Because if you look at it, it was only a prototype for now. The rear cassette looked like a, a salad uh, grater. If you have a look at yep. it, it yep. the visuals of that, that's why it works so well. I think nearly five million views. It went viral for wow. me on YouTube. I had a million views uh, in 24 hours as I was flying back. I checked the, uh, as I flew off from Amsterdam, coming back from Eurobike into Melbourne, I'm like, another million views? Really? It's that interesting? <laughs> but it's technology that it's, even if it doesn't work, and there's a lot of problems with that, Seeing where technology might be in 10 years is quite exciting. Surely, surely with that, they'll perfect it. Uh, you would think. I, I, I guess I just look at, you know, what's happened in the last 15 years to the push bike. Yeah. And I think that is the next big innovation with, with a road well, imagine having we're, we're seeing, we're seeing different companies bring out 10 speeds, 11 speeds, 12, yeah. 13s with a one on the front chain ring and we see Teams last year trying the one-by front chainring didn't work too well. If you follow the mm. Twitters of the mechanics, they're who to watch, the mechanics. Don't okay. follow the riders. Exactly, you watch the mechanics. <laughs> because they're the ones you're talking about, Strada Bianchi, and uh, it's the mechanics who have to worry about those weekends. And you get the real nitty-gritty about what's going on, what kind of bikes they're preparing. So that technology may not be the answer, but 
we mightn't have even seen what the end result is going to be, but imagine having a bike with almost infinite gearing. You don't have to worry about changing mm. a cassette from a, oh, what chain ring do you have on the front or the back? If it was just this meshed cog You're thing, just moving a dial a millimetre. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Uh, mine wow. would be always over to the left, the easiest cogs, of course. But, I mean, <laughs> tailwind down Beach Road, we just mm. move the dial a little bit back. It, it, it'd be fantastic tech. So that's what's going to come out of this. It may not be in that form, but, yeah, that had a lot of eyes on that, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What's yeah. hot... What's hot technology these days? What's hot? Yeah. Um, what what gets your heart beating going? Whoa, that's 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 so unbelievable. It's it's the future. I thought you might ask this question. Um, well, obviously, indoor trainers have changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I started off with the fluid trainers back in the day when there was I needed a, a ten kilometer section of road which you can't find in uninterrupted. So doing time trial efforts indoors is where it's at. So to see the smart trainer technology come along has been fantastic. Um, e-bikes, but that's not really about real cycling. Can I say that's not? It, it's it's well, assisted cycling. It's, yeah, it's well, changing though, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. we, we had this debate actually before where I think e-bike are definitely awesome because it gets people on bikes. Yes, or it gets them back on bike. Well, if you can enjoy the Stelvio and you never were able to pedal, pedal up that, yeah. event, I mean, the Stelvio is just brilliant. It's the places the indoor cycling is taking me around the world is just phenomenal. But I think where this technology is going and something that's going to wow a lot of people is the use of data. So yep. for years and years, Strava, um, well, Garmin, can, all these companies have been collecting our data and we've been uploading our data. So, for example, that one company I just ne- named knows where I ride, who I rode with, how hard I rode, my heart rate, the, um, the, the bike that I'm on if I enter that, the devices that I use, everything. It knows what I did last summer, the summer before, but also mm-hmm. how I responded to that effort. Now, I've spoken about this a little bit on my channels. Is coaching AI or using big data to prescribe better coaching for people? We all want shorter time frames, harder training, better results for, for less money. And, you know, we're all time poor these days. So where this is going to go in the next probably two or three years, to be able to prescribe a, an individual training plan to get you to exactly where you've been before or beyond, that's where it's going to go. Hmm. That's interesting, So we see it? these tech companies like Facebook and yeah, yeah. Twitter, and they, they all click data. Mm. That's the what app- they do with it. Exactly. The yeah. application of that's going to be quite exciting. Is that scary? I've sold my soul. How many times do you, you know, you go into, you need to log into a website, mm-hmm. you know, and it says log in with Facebook. Easy. Done. And I forget my password. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, the first time I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not succumbing <laughs> to Facebook. And then I'm like, damn, I can't remember my password. It's just going to be quick and easy. Yep. And, and now and I just do it. <laughs> I've just sold my whole life, my personal life to Facebook. So... It's hackers if you're here is on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got another question mm-hmm. because I've seen you you've done something and I'm interested in it with the, my tour group business that I run, mapping devices. Mm. Where are they at? And uh, I've been very happy with my Garmin so far yep. to date. Mm-hmm. What else is out there? Because they've ruled the market, haven't they? For oh, a without time. a doubt, I've run a lot of analytics from Strava on what devices people use um, from any event. You can have a look at it. Reports what head unit you're using. So even at the tour down under this year, I did have my flybys on Strava, and I could extract that data and see what head units people had that I rode past. Very interesting data. You can see trends and things like that. Very again, big data. Using data to analyze what's out there. Mapping wise, though, we'll see a few better things this year. This might be a, a, a year for outdoor technology rather than indoor technology. 
So stay right. tuned on that. Mm. Um, but mapping's a big one because people are touring more and more, but also touring globally. Yeah. With the Garmin units, you will purchase something locally. It'll only have the local maps. You've got to then purchase something else. That's a bit clunky. What we want is a device where it knows I've gone to the States or gone to Europe, and it has the maps on there. But that so, was already the case in cars, for example. You used to have your GPS with mm-hmm. the map of Australia, and then if you went somewhere else, you had to purchase the other map. Uh, and then you go, all the mainstream mapping system came in. Yeah, uh, so yeah. That, that's already happened in cars. Yes. So that will happen in cycling. Cycling is a little slower to adopt, I guess, common technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a lot of, um, in computing itself, so Windows 95 is a beta error. You, know, you, you wouldn't upgrade Windows until the next service pack is out. Cycling is still kind of there. Adopting early tech can be fraught with problems, and that's my daily grind. Is there, <laughs> is there a time when, and I'm not sure of your, your, your expertise on batteries mm-hmm. and how long they last, but... Is there a period or a time when you'll get on your push bike, people are doing it now anyway, with just your mobile phone? Because it will have everything you need. It'll have the Garmin app or the Strava app. Because the bigger problem I see with that is the battery life. It yeah, runs out. For sure. And you've nailed on something I can loop back on. The data head units that, or the data that I've collected on head units that people use, the Cadell's Classic, the number one head unit, iPhone and Android. Because that's the demographic. Wow. Over at the two yeah. down under, it was Garmin head units because they're more serious, they're serious, re- serious competitor, competitor hmm. or recreational cyclists. But the majority of people are using their phones because it does everything. Wow. But they're just not rugged enough. Yep. There are mounts you can get and protectors for it. But you're right. The battery life needs to come along a lot better. And that's the challenge that the phone industry has right now. Better battery life, more features. And the trickle down effect is we're getting better and better head units on our bikes with better batteries. But it's still a long way to go. I've got, mm. I've got five or six batteries, I think, on my bike. Pedals, two in the cranks, head unit, rear light, rear. Yeah, so, <laughs> Spot the nerd. Yes. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, technology-wise and battery-wise, uh, Shimano have it right with the DI2 system. There's one battery. A lot of people don't like the cables. Yeah. The competitors are all wireless. But there's only one battery, not five or six. So that's kind of cool. And it lasts but, a while. But, it, that, but you're not using it that much. Exactly right. But when a frame's going to have maybe some energy, maybe some solar panels on the frames, mightn't work with the classics over in Belgium. They're a bit cold. There's not a lot of sun out. But mm-hmm. in Australia, it's boiling hot. Why can't they harness the frame maybe for some energy feedback, solar panels? Um, harnessing energy from the rider will up, impact your speed. Yeah. Any front hub or dyno does take right. a little bit from your mm-hmm. speed. So trying to sell, that's a hard sell. But if I had a nice new bike painted up with solar panels, hell yeah, no mm-hmm. charging. Yeah, Happy absolutely. Uh, one last thing, I love the, you had a video where you were scanning all the Bluetooth in a peloton oh. at the, <laughs> the Nationals. That was scary to see oh, how much Bluetooth. The, yeah, look, this crosses over my, uh, my love of IT security and data and data privacy from my previous life, um, which has moved over into the cycling life because the Internet of Things is out there. Yeah. We are connected. Smart trainers are connected. But everybody's devices on their bike is, are connected and broadcasting as well. Security is very, very lax in cycling. Uh-huh. It's a few years behind. You scan the peloton and you see all the Bluetooth devices as the peloton goes by. Yeah, and it's no like, way. You can do. S- I can't say too much because it's, it's sort of like telling people how to build a bomb. I don't know. Or you'll be on our website now. <laughs> check my website. Yeah, check my YouTube channel for more. But uh, it's sort of giving a kid a box of matches and say, don't light them. Yeah. Of course, they're going to light them. Yeah. Look, I've even uh, at, a, at a cafe, there's certain heart rate monitors I can anonymously connect to and download everybody's workouts. 
I've done that before. <laughs> you can zero offset a firmware, uh, a power meter. If someone's pulled up on their bike, you can connect to it and zero offset so they make sure their data is correct. Or you could do a firmware update for them and make sure they're on the firmware. Or you could tinker with the settings. Security and cycling, it's again, in the next two or three years, it has to be brought to someone's attention in the industry to like start acting on this. Um, my email box is yeah, filled with that every day, trying to get the message out to protect the data. Okay. So, <laughs> can I ask one last thing? Because it's, I said it's, you're part of the furniture. It's old <laughs> news now, but mm-hmm. the, the motors in bikes. Oh, yes. What was your whole take on that? That's very interesting. And I did see the, uh, the iPad get pulled out over at the mm. 200 stage, uh, the um, stage two, I think it was. And I saw this, I'm like, what? Really? That's a th- I thought you thought it was on the internet, but mm. it's a real thing. Uh, quite possibly. Quite, I mm. mean, there's big money involved in this sport. And if you can get away with that, we, we had a theory because we, we did this feature at the Tour de France, remember, when we went and saw the scanner from the UCI uh, and how they scan for the bikes and stuff. But uh, we were debating that maybe actually the industry on professional cycling is self-regulating because there's so much competition between bike brands mm-hmm. which are on teams that if one does it, you can't have everyone does it, doing it. So if one do it, the others will know and then we'll whistleblow the thing so the, the, the sort of the industry is self-regulating because it would be too obvious i think it's very accessible as well uh the f1 teams we see are very closed shop you can't get too close to a formula one team their sheets come up but look at the two are down under the mechanics they're in full sight yeah, exactly. yeah. so if they're taking yeah, bikes apart true. changing bottom brackets and things charging some... engines if something's there someone will have an eight megapixel camera with a zoom lens straight yeah. bang It'll be up on YouTube in yeah. 8K resolution. People will see Because I think the on. technology is definitely possible. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we, is this happening really realistically in professional cycling? Well, That's it's happened. Look, it's happened once or twice at yeah. least, we know, because they've caught cyclocross. Cyclocross yeah. female, and I think they caught one other male cyclist. Yeah, in front. Yeah, so that's a bloody French, isn't that it? Says it, all. That says it all. <laughs> <laughs> says it all. <laughs> on these words, yeah. on this bombshell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for joining us, uh, Shane. It was a pleasure to have you. And then, of course, uh, you're welcome whenever you want in this podcast. Cheers. Thanks for having me, guys. And then I guess we'll have you next time again. <laughs> we will. Well, gee, what's, what's next? What are we going to be talking about next? The classics looming or... Gee, we might even have one. Probably Paranese, probably Paranese yeah. Mm. Thank you for joining us, Sounds guys. Good. And this is it for the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast for this week. Uh, remember, you can uh, download, stream, or uh, subscribe to our website and our podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral, or schedule a ride with our friends at Zwift. Until next time, it's bye for now. A quick shout out from our sponsor before we go. If you're looking for a new way to ride without traffic or punches getting in your way, hop on Zwift. We use it, your cycling buddies probably use it, and the pros, they definitely use it. Zwift turned indoor training into a full-on gaming experience. Connect your PC, Mac or Apple device and you'll pedal with thousands of cyclists around the world. And there's a good chance you'll see a pro on there too. Loads of them are on Zwift on their rest days riding around Wattopia. Give them a ride on if you see them. If you've got a trainer, start your free trial on Zwift.com.